Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Beaver Nation, and welcome to Beaver Banter, an Oregonian sports podcast. I'm Joe Freeman, senior writer for the Oregonian, and he's Nick Daschle, Beaver's beat writer for the Oregonian, and we're here to talk things, uh, all things Oregon State. Nick, how you doing, buddy? A lot on the table this week, isn't there? Yeah, there's there's a lot going on out there, and uh, you know we you've done a podcast, uh, an Oregon State podcast, many 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 times in the past, but uh, we haven't done one in quite some time. So I'm going to join the fray here with you. Uh, What's before we get too 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 knee deep in Beavers? uh, What what, what, did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday? What what what, how'd, how'd that go for you? Uh, you know, I watched the second half. I, I actually, I actually like, I, I watched the golf tournament until it was over. I was, I'm not a real big NFL guy, I, I, but I love, I love some of the PGA golf stuff. So I, so point, you're here in a public forum to publicly acknowledge that you only watched the second half of the Super Bowl and you did so for the Phoenix Open. You needed to finish the Phoenix Open. I not only did I only watch the second half, I was in the car during overtime because we were headed to, to mass on Sunday night. So, yeah. I, well, I, we're going to need to talk about your priorities and getting yeah, your priorities. Well, it, it, there, was more, uh, there was more people at the, at the golf tournament than there was the Super Bowl. I'll tell you that. Uh, I watched a little bit of that golf tournament. It's always a fun one. It's kind of one of the early season ones, but I'm not going to delay watching the Super Bowl for the end, for the end of that. Who ended up winning it? Uh, Nick Taylor. He won in a, mm. in two, a two second playoff hole. Um, but the, the excitement was on 16, obviously, where yeah. Scotty Scheffler almost holed out, had a oh, hole wow. in one. If he had a, had a hole in one, that would have been – that. that's just instant – viral video if that ever happens because of all the water bottles and stuff that go flying onto the golf course from there yeah the beer the beer cans you missed, by, uh, missed by about eight inches oh yeah yeah those are always fun when they go nuts yeah all right uh well let's get into this um before we do get too deep here in the pod though l- let's do a little bit of housekeeping we're going to start bringing you guys an episode uh of this podcast uh probably every week during the season here and we'll kind of spread the wealth on the topics. Obviously everybody always wants to talk about football. So we'll, we'll certainly do that uh, as often as we can every week. We got spring football coming up here in about a month. Um, and then of course, today we have to talk about the red hot and rolling women's basketball team, which is suddenly uh, and kind of surprisingly emerged as one of the best in the country. We've got uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, the, uh, the men's hoops team, and uh, we'll even dive into a little baseball today. The baseball team plays their season opener later in this week. So, uh, like you said, we got a lot going on here, Dashel. So let's 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 kind of get first into football. Um, I know you and I, independently at different times over the last uh, few weeks, have have sat down with Trent Gray for for kind of extended one-on-one interviews. I know you've also talked to, to both coordinators, Ryan Gunderson and, and Keith Hayward, to kind of pick their brains about what's coming, what's looming here with the program. And, and you know, with so much transition and, and coming off a little bit of so much uncertainty, but kind of things stabilizing a little bit, it seems like, I, know, I don't know how we put a bow on that. There's so much, so much going on right now, but I guess... 
I guess just what, what are kind of your, your prevailing thoughts on Trent Bray's first few weeks at the helm and kind of what's ahead for the program? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, mostly with, with Trent, it's, it's been about rebuilding the roster. Um, you know, with all the transfers that have come in, he, he really need he really need to do to restock pretty much every position, but maybe running back and even running back has added a bunch of players. So it's been awfully busy there as far as, you know, what he's going to do. I mean, that's just something that we're just gonna have to find out he, uh, in, in a month when, when spring practice starts on March 5th. Um, I, you know, I, everything you hear, everything he says sounds good. It's just unknowable. Cause until, you know, until a guy is a head coach, you don't really know until you, till you get some stuff on to actually see what it looks like and all that and, and how players react to him. And I mean, being a, I mean, if college football is, is, is known for guys that are just coordinators or just assistant football coaches and then guys that can actually be the head coach. It's not just cause you're a great assistant coach. Doesn't mean be a great head coach. I think Trent seems to have the, you know, the intangibles and the, and the, and the factors that would make him a good head coach. But you know, we'll, we'll, this is stuff we'll be finding out here in the next, you know, months and years actually. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you that the jury's still out. Uh, you know, so many times guys win the off season and, and, you know, you, you can do all you want to win the off season. It might not matter once that first game rolls around, but I will say this, you know, to, he just inherited the program at such a, you know, completely insane time, an unprecedented time with so much upheaval and, and, you know, just seemingly every negative difficult thing that possibly could go on going on. And I really feel like from the outside going on, and I certainly haven't covered Oregon state nearly as long as you have, it's hard to imagine someone kind of riding the ship as quickly or as, you know, solidly as, as he seems to do, you know, he, he stabilized the roster as best as he could. And obviously they lost a lot of transfers uh, and they lost guys who, who are heading in the NFL or otherwise, and they lost some really, really key pieces, but he didn't seem to dwell on that, you know, too much. He kind of hit, hit the ground running and, and, I don't know where he told me that he ended up with 15, 19 transfers, 15 uh, college guys and four Juco guys. But last time you talked to him, he said 17 transfers. Well, there's, there's 17. There's two guys that still are not on campus yet, but, and they're supposed gotcha. to be here um, okay. for the start of spring quarter. So the, the, okay. the, the, the big lineman from Colorado and the defensive tackle from Houston. Gotcha. Okay. They got to grad. They um, got. They got to. They got to graduate. They got to finish their schooling and and graduate is what my understanding is before they can come to Oregon State. Gotcha. Okay. So he's completely remade the roster as as you pointed out, kind of kind of on the fly, which I found to be pretty impressive. But one thing that I was really surprised with in my talk with him is, you know, I I had no idea what what his expectations for the team were going to be. You would think that he would temper things down a little bit, but he kind of went, you know, nuclear. He went the other way. He says these his team is positioned. He thinks he has the roster. He thinks that their schedule is set up to to chase a, a berth in the college football playoff, which um, I think everybody from the outside looks at and hears and thinks that he's insane, which I kind of said to him in my own way, you know, well, how do you respond to those people? And he said, well, I – I totally get from the outside why you would look at that and think that, but you know, I, I think we've restacked the roster with, with enough uh, capable guys, enough veterans in enough key positions. And, and again, that schedule the independent kind of mountain West hybrid schedule sets up where he thinks it's easier than say moving to the big 10 or, or even the old pac 12 schedule. And so, um, you know, we'll see, if his, you know, high expectations come to fruition, but he was very adamant that this is not a rebuild. It is a retool. And in fact, that was kind of the message that he was selling on the recruiting trail to transfers, to high school kids, to everyone in between, even his own roster. Um, 
He's like, look, we're going for this right now, and we have an easier path to where to, to kind of take Oregon State to a place it's never been. Well, I, I would also say he doesn't really have a lot of uh, he, – he might as well say this anyway because the bar is not at the same level as it was when Jonathan came in. When Jonathan came in, the place had, had crashed and burned, and the bar was so low, whatever Jonathan did was going to be met with – you know, yay from the fan base because it was so bad. Well, now they're coming off, you know, 10 win season, three mm-hmm. bowl, you know, uh, 10 wins since two years ago, three bowl berths, you know, all these high expectations and shoot. I mean, if <laughs> a six and six season in, in this next year is going to be met with a lot of nasty looks from the fan base, I would think that they're not going to accept six and six, even though maybe that's reality. But I, at this point, it's hard to know with the roster until we see what they can do. But um, so he might as well, he, he might as well go for broke right now. I, I, you know, I think with Trent, Trent's so, so locked into football. I mean, he, his mm-hmm. whole, his life is football more, more so than most guys. They're all into football, but I mean, Trent is just like nonstop 24 seven football. And so, I mean, I, you know, I, again, I mean, I, I, the other, I mean, the other part I was going to say was, about the the college football playoff to me it all comes down to that oregon game if they win the oregon game they got a decent chance if they don't win the oregon game it doesn't matter if they go 11 and 1 11 and 1 with a lost to oregon isn't going to get them in the top 12 i don't think not with the rest yeah, of the schedule probably, they have so so they probably got the i mean goes. they got to feel like they got a team they can that can beat oregon in research stadium now that's you know I, I mean if I'm Trent I'm thinking sure I got a team that could do that but but we won't know that until September. Yeah, yeah, and Oregon has had a a, a remarkable off season as well, uh, both in the portal and and they hauled in one of the right nation's best recruiting classes too. So so I, no one in this podcast wants to hear it, but but they're kind of rolling over there now. now you recently kind of sat down with Ryan Gunderson and Keith Hayward independently. What kind of, you know, how did you walk away from those conversations? What was kind of their message? You know, obviously the offense uh, from my talk with Trey, it sounds like it's going to be quite a bit different there. Um, from what he told me, they're, they're kind of looking to be more multiple and more varied and less predictable. Uh, and, you know, it seemed to me that one of his big goals in hiring Ryan and, and the shift that he wanted to take with offense is Trent really felt that uh, over the years, uh, the one thing kind of holding the team back was when defenses stacked the box to kind of shut down Damian Martinez and the Beavers running game, they really didn't have a very good counter. And, and he, he really wanted to get someone who could counter that. And not just where, okay, we're going to have a play action or a play that gets one person open. And if that one person doesn't get open, you're screwed. He wanted, he wants multiple options, you know, off those, those sets and those formations. And, and that was one thing I took away. Um, but Trent told me that he found as, as a defensive coordinator, the hardest team to prepare for each season was UCLA and you know those Chip Kelly offenses, and obviously Ryan Gunderson has has had a, a a heavy hand in that the last couple of seasons. So, I guess long winded way to say, you know, can you expound on that a little bit, and then you know flipping sides to defense? What what, what was kind of Keith's message there? Sure, with with, with Ryan, I, I mean this the, the quarterback position has has really evolved at Oregon State since mm-hmm. since two thousand eighteen. I mean when it when Trent first came in, you know, as an inside linebackers coach and Jonathan was the head coach, I mean, they were, they were married to a, a pro style quarterback as time wore on that, you know, they started, they got, you know, chance Nolan, they got a little look at him, see what he could do rolling out a little, you know, with a little bit mobility. And then they got Aiden Childs. They could really see where this quarterback position. Now they're all in on, on the, on the dual threat quarterback the, the the days of the jake lutons and and ben galbrinson's are probably over um they, i don't think ben wants to hear that no Nick. i know he doesn't but i mean it's i mean it's <laughs> it's it just is what it is it's 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 they want to get guys up. and that's what and that's kind of what trent's saying i mean 
you, you, you can say, you know, you don't want to stack the box, but you got to have something there that you can, you got to have the player there's that, that can do that. And so you got to have a quarterback that can get out the pocket and, 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 and be a run pass threat and on, on the edges and, and with the guys they brought in, you know, McCoy and, and Yubari Johnson, those two guys are, are capable of that. Now, you know, we'll see if they, a, we'll see if McCoy can make the jump from Big Sky to this level, and whether Jabari Johnson is you know ready to play at this level. It, you, know, you would think one of the two is probably going to work out to some degree. So, but I, that, that's what Ryan wants to do. He, he you know he wants to be multiple, and he he you know I tried to kind of pin him down as to what what kind of an offense you have, and he didn't really you know it was it was a lot of the you know what's the defense going to give us, and and they don't want to be predictable and. So there wasn't any, you know, great terms of I can really latch on to what this thing's going to look like. It, it could look like something different every week, but mm-hmm. I don't think the days, I don't think that they're going to go s- strictly with the, uh, you know, the offense you might've seen against Oregon, you know, two years ago where they ran the ball exclusively in the second half of a game, even though you got a Martinez, I think they want to get the ball to the backs um, you know, especially with, you know, Jam Griffin in, in the, on the roster now. And some of these other guys they brought in, I think they're going to try to get the ball to the backs. And they're going to try to expand Damian Martinez's game some. Uh, the, you know, the receiving, the, the receivers, I mean, on paper, it looks like they got a good group. But again, they're unproven. So we'll just have to see how they how that evolves. But as far as Keith goes, you know, he, you know, he says he says some of the things you're going to hear out of most defensive coordinators. You know, we want to put pressure on the quarterback, and you know, not necessarily get him on the ground, but make him uncomfortable and things like that. I did ask him. I said, "How how much is Trent going to play a role in the defense?" He said, "Well, you know, we know what we've got, but it, you know, and both both Trent and Keith have said it's it's Keith's defense, and he says, you know, a lot of what Trent." built is what he he believes in but there'll be some wrinkles and of course i asked him what are those wrinkles and he didn't want to say so he, he says i guess <laughs> we'll fi- you'll find out but you know so I, i'm guessing it's probably going to involve some movement up front more than anything else so where, where they're bringing guys different guys different positions to attack the quarterback and and things like that but i suspect they want to get a little bit bigger on the on the off on the defensive line just looks like from some of the guys they brought in a little bit more size there. Um, and then I, you know, I asked him, you know, typically in the last six years, <clears throat> the defense has kind of funneled a lot of the plays to the inside linebackers, which is why you're seeing Oregon state's inside linebackers, usually at the top of the list is in tackles in the pack 12. And he said, yeah, that, that, that would be, that would be good. That would be a good place to, to go for us too. So I assume you're going to, I assume the defense is going to look a lot like what we've seen with, with probably some, some fingerprints of, of Keith Hayward on it. The, you know, the two issues with these, both these guys though, is Ryan's never been a deep offensive coordinator. Can he, <clears throat> so we don't know, it, it, you know, he's got some background as a, as a quarterback coach and, and he's, and he's worked with, you know, developing offenses, but mm-hmm. this is his offense. Now let's see what he can do with it. You know, Keith has had, <clears throat> Keith has got some experience as a defensive coordinator. He was co-coordinator at Oregon. He spent one year at UNLV as a defensive coordinator, <clears throat> but he's still kind of young in, in, in his role as a defensive coordinator worked out well for Trent Bray. I mean, so there's, there's reason to believe it could work out for Keith Hayward as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, man, the modern college football, I can't imagine being a coach right now, chasing transfers and two different transfer cycles simultaneously, you know, recruiting your own players to stay. Um, and obviously that was a big, you know, storyline with this team, uh, this off season with, with the high number of, of transfers that, that, uh, Trent had to haul out of the portal, you know, 19 guys, uh, or 15, at least from, from other colleges. Um, and I was kind of interested in talking to him and we did talk about it as like, is this the new normal? Are you gonna, are you gonna be chasing this many guys every year? Um, and he was pretty emphatic that, that no, he doesn't want that to be the normal. I, I, I think the sweet spot for him 
is, you know, kind of eight to 10 guys, depending upon needs, depending upon the roster, depending upon, you know, guys who, who defect and transfer elsewhere. That's kind of the sweet spot for him. He really wants to, you know, reinforce high school recruiting. He wants to kind of, you know, be a, you know, a, a team that is known for developing its its talent and grooming them into replacing the guys that leave. And, um, you know, he really wants that to be the backbone of the program. I thought it was interesting. He was very forthcoming about, he's like, look, USC is going to come poach and buy our players. Other guys are going to come buy our players. USC got two, at least two guys uh, in this cycle. They've gotten guys in the past. Um, Florida State got two guys, you know, from this roster last year. So other teams are, are going to come and after he develops, OSU develops them, they're going to come and some guys are going to leave if they're if they're chasing the bag or whatever. And he's very well of that, very well aware of that. He's happy with where the NIL is. He's happy that players are, are getting paid uh, finally. Um, but his his goal and the model that he wants to use is okay well when somebody comes and poaches this guy we're gonna have the next guy in line ready to take his place and so you know that's how college football has been built for for decades and decades and he doesn't want to get away from that just because of the transfer portal but i mean you'd be an idiot not to use the portal at this point because that's where modern football is and that's that's where you're going to be able to succeed is kind of plugging holes and supplementing the roster with that so i thought that was was one interesting thing he said i'll be interested to see how they recruit without the pac-12 you know can they recruit with their current standing are our players going to buy into that and you know, he, he kind of shares his vision as it's, it's like we talked about earlier. It's an opportunity, kind of an easier path because of the expanded playoff format. And um, I think every Oregon State fan probably believes, much like the athletic department believes, that this isn't going to be a permanent situation for them, that at some point they'll find a landing spot at uh, at, at another conference or, or depending upon how things shake up in the next two or three years here. So, um I mean, it's kind of like keeping keeping things moving ahead, if not projecting ahead forward or moving up, I guess, or keeping things status quo for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things I'd 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 say or add to that is <clears throat> nineteen transfers seems like a lot, and I know Trent says you know somewhere in eight to ten range. Again how do we know? I mean, we just, I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. And if a bunch of guys leave, you gotta find a way to fill those holes. So I know that's what you'd like to do in a, in a perfect world. You'd like to get six or eight guys out of the transfer portal. But I mean, if you got a good roster and you lose a bunch of guys, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta replace them. And so, Mm -hmm. um, even though you might have some guys ready to go, you still gotta, you gotta have all that depth and things like that. So, I think ideally that's that's that that would be the formula the eight to ten but I mean in years where you got a good team and lose a bunch of guys you're you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hit the portal hard so I think it's just gonna be a year to year thing you know as far yeah. as you know what what uh, we haven't even got to the second part of this the the spring I mean the spring's gonna be pretty active too you know guys are gonna spend their time in spring ball they're gonna assess where they're at and go do I really want to hang out here and wait for the August or should I go look elsewhere? And some of these guys are Mm going to say, yeah. And then there's going to be programs like Washington and Alabama that are, that are just looking to rebuild their, their rosters. And they're going to start sending out feelers with, with six figure, you know, answers to the, to their questions. And, and, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be guys moving. And so the spring's going to be interesting to see how that plays out when that window opens. Um, yeah, the, the whole, and I talked to him a little bit about the status of, of college football and the transfer portal. And, and he was pretty open about that as well. I didn't write a ton about that, but I mean, I think he feels as pretty much everybody in college football feels that it's the way things are set up right now is unsustainable to have two portal windows and, and, you know, to have to recruit your own guys twice and, and you, you think you finally have a handle on your roster and then spring comes around and who knows how it's going to blow up. I think the guys that he has 
are guys that want to be here. Um, and, and I think the, the bulk and of his work and the, the hardest part of his work this season is over. Um, cause it is difficult to transfer in that spring. You know, you, you leave in the winter and you've got the spring, like right now they're doing, you know, their daily workouts and, and, you know, individual workouts and that kind of stuff. So they're getting ready for the spring and they're, they're getting into the program and the culture and indoctrinating themselves to that and, and so on and so forth. And then they'll go through spring practices. So you'll, you'll feel like you have a handle on them and they'll have a handle on you. Well, when you transfer in after that, it's kind of it's kind of going on, you know, on the fly, especially for the big positions, quarterback and and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you can add a wide receiver or maybe, you know, guys here and there. But spring I have found and and maybe that's going to change. But the spring transfer portal window is a lot less you know, uh, insane as, as that winter oh, one. Oh, for sure. For sure. But the difference to me now is there's so much more, there's so much more guys are so much more brazen about, about making offers. And mm-hmm. the, when you're, let's just say you're a holdover for, we'll just use Oregon state. It could be any school, any school that has a new coaching staff or new coordinator or something. I mean, let's just say, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's just say Damian Martinez goes through the spring and he goes, man, I don't like the way this offense is. is I don't like this offense. So I'm going to look elsewhere. I can see hey, that, everybody. Dashiell just no, predicted that. I'm, Damian Martinez is gonna, I'm just saying, I'm just using him for an example, <laughs> but this could happen to a bunch of guys where they just go. Yeah. I don't really like the way this is going. I, I think I'll go look, look around, see what, see what what else i can find after i've gone through the spring with this new new coach to see what it actually will look like that that some of that's going to take place i i'm i'm sure of it i mean like a guy like ben gulbrinson i could definitely mm-hmm. see him going through the spring looking to see how you know the the, the how ryan is is again he's using you know his quarterbacks and making a decision at the end of the spring you know do i want to do i want to stick this out or do i do I look elsewhere? Do I just go on to medical school? You know, I could see though that's to me, that's a real, that's a real world situation. There is, 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 is Gulbrinson. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a real good point. And, and especially because of the newness of the staff and, and, you know, half a staff of new guys and a new program that probably looks a lot like the previous program and how it's run and organized, but has a lot of new wrinkles and, and new kind of philosophies on both sides of the ball at some level. Well, less on defense, but that, that's a good point. Well, Cause you tra- don't know, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. You don't know how you jive with an OC or a DC and all that until you get in the fray. So that that's a good point. Guys, guys could kind of decide this isn't for me, I suppose. And and then, you know, with Trent, I, you know, I, you've talked to him about this too, but you know, I asked him about, you know, his thoughts on, on what changes should be made to, you know, the recruiting and, and transfer portal windows and things like that. And he didn't seem too concerned about where things stood with recruiting. He, he, he didn't mind the early signing day, even mm-hmm. though that's a huge controversial topic right now in college because of the CFP running square into the portal time mm-hmm. and recruiting and all that. He didn't seem to think that was a problem. Where he has a problem is the two transfer portal windows. He says mm-hmm. that's got to be fixed. I yeah. don't know how you fix that, be honest with you, just because of the first window – guys got to go guys got to make a decision for school starts in, in, in the winter time. So you can't really move that one too much. Now you could get rid of the second window. <clears throat> I don't know how that would fly. I, I, I could, I, I think that would be a good move if they did get rid of the second window, but I think there'll be a lot of discussion on that one. The, the other thing I was going to bring up though, was about recruiting. I could see this being an opportunity for Oregon state, all this transfer portal stuff. I could see them going to higher ranked quarterbacks and things like that and saying, Hey, you can come here and we can develop you and play you as quickly as you're ready to play, as opposed to some of these other programs that just keep bringing in new players. And they, they're just, especially at the quarterback position where, you know, the Oregon's just seem to sign a new guy every, they, they bring a new transfer every year, pretty much every other year. I mean, what chances of uh, does a freshman quarterback have at a place like Oregon or USC or any of those places anymore? So if you're Oregon State, you go, hey, come to our place and 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 we'll develop you and we'll play you. 
Mm-hmm. I, I could see that pitch, and, and I, that's not to me. It's an, an opportunity for Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, and that's I mean, you just hit on the buzzword opportunity, which is what Trent is selling everybody on that this is a unique opportunity and his vision for for how things are going to go. And look, we're probably what 11 12 weeks now into the Trent Bray tenure and so this is all brand new and and we don't we, nobody knows how it's going to go but i will say that for what he inherited uh both with the turmoil and upheaval with guys bailing right and left and half the coaching stuff leaving and he himself scheduled to be on a plane to leave you know himself I have been impressed with what he's been able to do. And if I were an Oregon state fan, as bad as things have been and as, you know, uh, you know, unsettling as their, their kind of status is, it's hard to imagine it being in a better, more stable position than it is right now, at least temporarily. You at least have a guy who's, you know, He's got the background. He's got an appreciation. He's got a of the program. He's he's got a a love of the town and the culture of the town and the program, uh, and and he has a vision for the future. And um, you know that was one thing when when I did talk to him. I I, I you know I talked to Damian Martinez. I, I talked to Jack Coletto. I talked to Mike Riley. Uh, I I talked to um, to Dennis Erickson and. They universally, uh, you know, praised the hire and they all basically said, that's who I wanted them to hire. And in fact, Mike Riley and, and Dennis Erickson both talked to, to Scott Barnes ahead of the hire and essentially said, hire Trent Brett. You know, if you want my opinion, that's who you should hire. And they're both still connected to the program, Mike Riley pretty heavily and, and Dennis Erickson, you know, tangentially. And so, um, again, a terrible situation that has been kind of righted as, as good as it could be, uh, you know, at this point is, is there anything you want to, you want to wrap that up with football wise before we, we switch gears here? No, I think we were just going to briefly go over what spring football, not, not too. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. So what it's, it opens March 5th. Is that right? Yeah. Tuesday, March 5th. It's, it's going to fall roughly the same schedule that the Oregon state's had over the last several years where they, where they uh, practice three times a week for the first two weeks, take, take finals week and spring break off and then return in April and go for three weeks and practice and practice pretty heavy the last week leading into the spring game. Um, you know, it remains to be seen whether, whether the spring game will actually be, a, be an event as opposed to the, uh, you know, the crap show it's been the last few years where it's just, it's really not very entertaining or, exciting to watch because it's not really a game it i think trent would like to have a game you know if if he's if he's able it all depends on the health of the team they do have a lot of play they do have a lot of bodies on in the program right now so it'd be nice if we could see some sort of a game you know a game you know it'd be great is if they had a game where you know bring in some you know some former players to be the co you know the the celebrity coaches and mm-hmm. really make a day you know make a make an event out of it for the fans but again that that's that's to be seen i don't know that was never a jonathan never was really into that stuff i don't think he really understood how that could sell um and yeah. i don't think he cared but it, and Trent might be more into doing something like that. Yeah, I think uh, you know all eyes will be on on quarterback as much as anything. I mean, there's so many new faces. There, there's an overhauled you know right receiver room, the secondary um, lines, of, both lines of scrimmage. There's so much to kind of you know follow and, and track here to see how it progresses. But uh, you know the biggest kind of question mark there is is at quarterback and um so that i mean you know giovanni mccoy and ben goldbranson obviously are are the two guys there that are going to be you know battling that out i I know the staff is is very high on mccoy who you know threw for fifty five thousand five hundred fifty yards and 43 touchdowns um i don't you know in idaho and and it's you can say it's a step down in competition which i did say to Trent Bray when I talked to him and, and he said, 
Well, you know, look, this guy played Cal and played other Pac-12 teams. He played Boise State, and and he succeeded no matter who he faced. And, and you know, those college coaches certainly know more than me about, uh, you know, recruiting and, and scouting guys for their own system. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how – how he adjusts to the step up in competition. And, and I know what, what, what interests me or piqued my you know, curiosity is Oregon state had multiple former five-star recruits that, that have been in college programs for a year or more come through uh, during the portal cycle. And, uh, and, and they kind of kept watching film of all those guys and they kept watching film of a McCoy and, you know, Trent and Ryan kind of talked and they're like, why are we, what is it about these five-star guys that we're going after that sets them apart from this guy that we're watching do the things that we want on film. And, you know, through those conversations and through talking to all the guys, they decided that this guy McCoy who wants to be here and is, and has kind of shown it at, at least at it, it step down in competition, but at least, at the college level was their guy. So that's a pretty ringing, a big ringing endorsement. And I'll be interested to see how he kind of, how he kind of shines. In the well, spring. I think it's a, per, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect mix. Really. They've got, you know, Goldbrunson, a guy who's been in the program, knows how to win. He's not, you know, obviously he's not flashy, but they at least know what they have with him with McCoy. They got a guy that has played college football for a few years has got, has got a lot of video out there. They know what he can do. Then they got a guy that's sort of an unknown, but a lot of promise. And so you got these mm-hmm. three guys that, you know, you can, you can roll out there and you got a lot mm-hmm. of options. And so that, I think that'll, that'll be good for him. Yeah, that's a good point. He kind of said, he made the point to me that the balance and where the guys are stacked for both now and in the future is exactly where he wants that room to be a guy who's a veteran, a guy who's ready to, to play now. And, and then a guy who's, you know, going to develop and, and kind of be ready for, for what they want to do for the future. So, right. all right, well, we'll stop there. We'll switch gears a little bit. Uh, I mean, we could talk football the whole time, which is mostly what people want to listen to anyway, but you know, we, we've got kind of, um, well, quite frankly, Oregon state, uh, women's basketball is one of the hottest teams in the country. They they've won five in a row, including, four against top 20 opponents kind of, you know, leaping into third place in the pack 12 uh, at nine and three in the conference. So with six games left, uh, they're just a game and a half behind first place Stanford. Um, so it's kind of been a, a team on the rise, a team that's uh, playing a fun brand of basketball a team. That's been fun to watch, you know, during the streak, they squeaked by rival Oregon. Uh, and then of course defeated Utah and Colorado uh, two times each. The most recent win came Sunday at Colorado. I should say we're recording Monday morning. So a little context for you there, but so their last win came yesterday and it was their first road victory against a top five team in program history that went at Colorado. So really impressive there. They're looking for their first tournament berth since 2021. And and the craziest insane part to me is that they were predicted to finish 10th heading into the season in the pac 12. So Dasha, where did all this come from? What's the secret behind this this Beavers uh, team's success? Why, why are they so much better than everyone expected? Well, this is uh, part of this part of where this go, goes back to again is the transfer portal. Uh, you know, there was a <clears throat> twenty one was the last year they went to the NCAA tournament, and in the in the a couple years after, you know, the years a few years after that, they went through their first real run with the transfer portal where they lost players and Scott's whole deal, the way he builds programs is he, he, you know, you hit, he has those players around for four years. And by the time they get to be juniors and seniors, they know the system. They know what, what he expects on defense. They know what roles they need to play. And he lost that two years ago when, when a bunch of players left for different Duke, you know, good programs, Duke and Texas and Michigan and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. But but they left and he had to kind of retool. Well, he, he had this really good freshman class come in last year. A um, couple of five-star players, Reagan Beers and Tamia Gardner, and then some shooters and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of, they had to learn last year. And so they were young and didn't, and they had, they, they were competitive, but they get in close games and they couldn't finish. 
Well, now they're a little bit older, and then they brought in these two freshmen from the from in state, uh, you know, Hunter from um, from Barlow, and and I mean from shoot, from Medford, and and, and Candy Schuler from from Barlow. I mean, they've been tremendous as freshmen. They're still freshmen, but <clears throat> they've blended in with a roster that's starting to mature. And I'm telling you. <sighs> they look like a final four team. I mean, they have so much length and so much depth and so many options on the offensive end and their defense is as good as any. It's the best in the PAC 12 and it's one of the top, at least defending field goals, which is what Scott really leans on his field goal defense. It's number three or four in the country. I don't know where they're, they were four yesterday. I don't know if they, they're still there or not, but I mean, they got out, they got out on, on, these four games they played with Colorado and Utah the last two weeks, I mean, they blasted Utah both times. And Colorado, mm-hmm. they they were up twenty five in the third quarter yesterday. I I I think the you know the altitude and just kind of you know knowing it was kind of over and you don't really know what to do when you're up that big on the road had something to do with that fourth quarter. But I mean that it. it it sets up for that, that game on February 29th against Stanford to be, if they can get through this weekend and, and then they got to go to Washington's, the Washington schools, if they can get through these next two weeks, that Stanford game is going to be as big as big a game as there's been at Gill Coliseum in probably five or six years. Yeah. And so much of basketball is, is momentum and uh, you know, you don't want to win your, your first 10 and then, you know, go four and six in your last 10. But uh, you really kind of you, – you feel what you talked about is is they've got some young talent, they've got some vets, and it's all kind of come together. And, you know, they're playing their best at the perfect time. Um, a Final Four team, that's a, that, you're not predicting that, but you're saying that is the potential of this team. I guess what do you what do you kind of well, peer into your ball? I mean – because of the because of the the options they have at, at, on the offensive end, they don't have to just mm-hmm. go into Reagan beers or rely on a point guard <clears throat> to make plays or or a couple of shoot. They got <clears throat> they've got three or four players that can shoot from three. They've got the interior game. They got Tamia Gardner, who's just been she's just developed into a beast on the boards. Uh, Talia Van, Van Olhoffen, who's the veteran of the, of the team, has been around four years. She's got, I mean, she's just been great at the defensive end. And like I said, the defense is good. But but the other reason they could be, they got a shot to be a Final Four team is the way this is setting up. They may not have to leave the state until the Final Four. Mm-hmm. If they get a top four seed, they can play in Corvallis the first two rounds. And if they get put in the Portland Regional, which is a 50-50 proposition um, because there's only two regional sites, I mean, then they got they got the Moda Center to play, you know, the the regional semi and possibly regional final. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good situation for them. I, again, I mean – we'll see how this goes. But right now, I mean, every week they just seem to be better. And I know there's, there's, I've heard of a few people wondering, you know, are they peaking too early? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't think so. You worry about those teams that are playing great in December that, that peak early. Plus they have so many players they can rely on that Mm -hmm. if somebody does hit a, hit a bad patch, they got somebody else going to step right in and, and, and fill a spot. So, I, I, that part I, I wouldn't be too concerned about. Well, you know, on the other uh, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where there are lots of concerns is the men's, the men's program. Uh, Beavers are 11, 13 over and all tied for last in the PAC 12 with USC. Um, you know, kind of offered a little bit of hope two weeks ago with that uh, surprising sweep of the Arizona schools. And now, Yikes, you know, the, those wins have been sandwiched by 10 losses, uh, a six-game losing streak and a four-game losing streak. And it's it's really difficult to imagine things turning around at this point. Um, you know, the good news is that OSU is scoring more than my eight-year-old daughter's team. But the bad news is they haven't topped 60 points in the last three games, uh, really can't generate any 
you know, consistent momentum on that end of the floor. Um, I, this isn't a surprise, I don't think, but I don't know. How would you kind of assess where, where the program is right now and, and kind of what are you looking for? You, what are you looking for the last last couple of weeks here? Yeah, I mean, they were picked to finish 12th in the Pac-12, so it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like 11 and 13 should should cause people, you know, great concern. But I, I think that Arizona series, you know, got some people's hopes up. I mean, I mean, let's just look at them. Talent-wise, who are they better yeah. than? They, they, yeah. You know, they got a few players that, that you would really want, but I don't know, top, you know, from one to – eight or nine that are they better really talent wise than anybody else <clears throat> but they're, they're good enough to compete the the issue in men's college basketball though is is experience and that's going to mm-hmm. be that's going to be less of an issue going forward once we get through the covid the covid um period where you, you can get that extra year of eligibility it's it's the the better teams these days have got a lot of fifth year seniors and fourth year juniors and players that have been in college basketball for a long time. Oregon State doesn't have that. They they they're relying mostly on second year guys. And so there is an experience thing and I know it's it's an excuse, but there's something to it. Washington rolled out, I want to say four seniors on on Saturday that have been playing four or five years. I mean, it, it, that matters, at, at, at least in college basketball, it does. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just think they got to – I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I honestly don't know what, what Oregon State can do. They can't really afford to make a coaching change. That It's just too expensive. I mean, you can't – you can't go to the state crying poverty and uh, we need mm-hmm. help and then then pay a guy eight eight point seven million dollars to leave. I mean, I, I don't think you I mean, unless some donor comes in and says, here's a check, you know, mm-hmm. we want to let's make a change. I don't think there's gonna be a change. And I don't know they're I don't know. I, I think in a perfect world you probably do make a coaching change, but I don't think they can afford to do that at this point. And I think they can work their way out next season if they can keep most of these guys on the roster and bring in a few additions to where they'll be playing in a in a little more manageable situation than the WCC. Yeah, it's really uh many of the programs have uh, had a very impressive or at least commendable, uh, you know, finale in the Pac-12. You know, they're kind of going out on a high in a way. I mean, the boy, the men's soccer team was exceptional. The football team had a good season. Um, You know, women's basketball is excelling. Uh, we're going to get into baseball later. They have very high expectations. And then you kind of have this very discouraging, disappointing end to the Pac-12. But it, it will, for the men's basketball team, it will be interesting to see how that transfers to the WCC where, you know, it is on that next level of of annually of basketball, you know, talent. It's It's kind of a rung below the major conferences, uh, obviously with Gonzaga and, and St. Mary's and, um, you know, insert your, your team here that, that sparkles that year, uh, Santa Clara and so on. But I mean, they, they shouldn't be 12th in the WCC. The question is how high can they climb in the WCC, which is, you know, a, a pretty good basketball. Pro, that, would be, uh, that, would, that would be, that would be a trick to be 12th in WCC with 11 teams, but <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but maybe that's your, that's how bad these guys are. They're so yeah, bad exactly. they can finish twelfth in an eleven team. No. I mean, the most to me, the most discouraging thing for Oregon State fans is what they're seeing at Washington State. Washington mm-hmm. State lost virtually everybody that was good on their roster a year ago. They've got no fan base. They, they've got the worst attendance in the Pac-12 this year. They 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 don't have much of an NIL program yet. Kyle Smith went out and rebuilt that team, brought in whatever transfers he needed. And they're a game out of first place in the Pac-12 and probably going to go to the NCAA tournament. It's a it's an exact com- comparison to Oregon State. And it, it's working at Washington State this year. Why can't Oregon State do that? Now, I mean, Oregon State people might come back and say, well, when was the last time they went to the Elite Eight? Well, okay, but that was a one-off. I, I, 
I don't know. I just I just see this Washington State team and I go, you know, why is this happening at Oregon State? And so that that's a question I think a lot of people are wondering about. Yeah. Uh, well, let's switch gears and kind of wrap things up here with uh, with a quick look at the baseball team. They they open the season uh, later this week with four games and surprise. Uh, and then they will move on to Arlington, where they're going to play uh, some very intriguing games against the likes of Arkansas and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and Michigan. They kind of enter the season as a unanimous top 10 team, as high as five, I think as low as nine in all those polls. Um, and there is is great optimism in that program right now to kind of go out on top in the final year of, of the Pac-12 it's a program that every year says they have championship aspirations and and this year they they really do have a team capable of of making it to Omaha they are um you know they are loaded on offense they insiders Ryan Gibson and and Mitch Canham and many many players they feel like this could be the best, definitely the best offense in in Mitch Canham's five years. But uh, Gibson thinks it could be the best offense in program history, which is a ridiculously bold statement considering some of the offenses that have gone through there. Um, but you know, there's there's some talent there to back it up. Obviously, Travis Bazan is the headliner. He's coming off one of the best individual seasons in school history, and and he. Uh, he then went on to win MVP of the of the Cape Cod League, which is a very prestigious summer baseball league, and uh, you know almost every MLB draft board for for the 2024 draft has him as a top three or top five pick. There's even been some floating him as a number one overall pick. So he's he's that good, and and it's not just him. I mean, the offense is is you know two years ago they had an incredible team with. Jacob Melton and Wade Meckler and uh, Justin Boyd and 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 Bazana was a freshman and it was just a ridiculous offense and and this one really does have the potential to be better than that. Um, they've got a, a really good freshman Trent Caraway who's supposed to be Gavin Turley Jr. Gavin Turley obviously was the freshman who blew up last year. He returns um, and then a couple of guys kind of wanted to get drafted, weren't selected and returned. And that's Micah McDowell and Brady Casper. And so you add them back into the lineup uh, with Turley and Bazana and Caraway and Mason Guerrera, who will move over to first base this year. And then they added a, a really good transfer shortstop, uh, Elijah Hainline, who was an uh, honorable mention all-Pac-12 guy who hit, I want to say he hit 10 home runs, 12 home runs last year for Wazoo. And there's a lot of power, there's a lot of speed, uh, and just a lot of runs to be scored in that lineup. So there are some questions on the pitching staff. Their their ace is expected to be Aiden May, who's a transfer from Arizona. He was really up and down last year at Arizona, but uh, everybody in the program insists that a change of scenery from that thin air and quick quick infield there at Arizona and and you know, the offensive, you know, ballpark that he pitched in to, to, you know, to Goss Stadium is going to make a world of difference for him. He's also, that was his, he was a JC transfer. That was his first year pitching in the Pac-12. And so, you know, a year of experience should help him too. But, um, yeah, I was talking to Jacob Kamatz, who's going to be in their weekend rotation, who was incidentally, uh, you know, high school best friends with Aiden May and was a big factor in kind of recruiting him when he entered the portal. And Aiden May says he thinks he's going to hit 100 this year uh, on the gun. So he throws fast. He's He's got a, a, an assortment of pitches, and, and they're really bullish on him kind of emerging as the ace. And that's really, you know, pitching depth and pitching top-end pitching talent was was what held this team back last year. And and they have a lot of good returners and, and an infusion of a couple transfers and, and talented freshmen that kind of make – you know, pitching coach Rich Dorman and, and Mitch Canham think that the staff is a lot better than other people think. So, um, yeah, high expectations there. Season starts this season, and we'll have a lot more time to, time to talk about that. One thing I was gonna I was gonna mention. I'm I'm curious. A single game tickets went on sale today. Um, boy, it, it looks bleak for. <laughs> 
for tickets on on the website oh uh, like finding tickets yeah i mean yeah i wouldn't doubt it i mean yeah there's and, a lot- and maybe some of and maybe some of them are still uh locked up as they're still trying to sell season tickets but but yeah i, I know i know the singles went on sale today and and uh between that and and women's basketball selling four dollar tickets for this weekend's games, I imagine the ticket people at Oregon State are a little busy today. Happily busy, though. Yeah, yeah. Right? Obviously, happily busy, but a little busy today between those two. I mean, plus you know they're trying to peddle season tickets for football too. But but those two would are are immediate. So. Um, yeah, well, and you think of, I mean, they're two of the more successful programs that, that Oregon State has. Obviously, baseball is kind of the, the the shining star there in the athletic program. And and this is it for the Pac-12. And so, you know, w- with with all of that looming overhead, with, with the expectations with baseball, and now the sudden increased expectations for, for women's basketball, it should be interesting to see how they, they go out. I guess I can mention really quickly before we wrap this up that um, a, a lot of details are still to be emerged, but you know, we reported a, a couple of weeks ago that baseball has decided to go with an independent schedule um, starting in 2025, rather than join the WCC as, as most of the other programs ha- have. And so um you know, talking with Mitch and others in the program, they're pretty confident that they can put together a highly competitive schedule, which will, you know, kind of satisfy uh, the RPA, the RPI standards that would that would need them to put them in position to host a regional and a supers and all that stuff. So there there will be a lot more to report on that when they finalize the schedule, which uh, which could come, you know, sometime later this month. We'll, we'll see how that that's wrapping up. But my understanding is that they have a lot of pieces in place for that schedule, but they just have to wait out to when the other conferences finalize their conference schedule because, you know, any conference that has an odd number of teams will have an open weekend in that schedule and Oregon State is looking to pounce on those opening weekends to balance their schedule and kind of put the puzzle pieces together uh, for teams in the big in in the Big Ten and in, and in the Big Twelve and and some of the old Pac Pac uh, twelve teams and and then some of the you know teams along the West Coast um, that that are prominent in baseball and maybe not some other sports so keep an eye on that uh, as uh, you know out for finalized things with that and keep an eye out for uh basketball coverage this weekend baseball coverage this weekend and football coverage year round nick is there anything you want to add before we uh, i was just gonna say one other thing i was wondering about baseball i know i wrote about this last year and i I don't know where it where where it's at but they were they were definitely looking into um premium seating at Oregon state, much like, like they have, or, or a Goss, much like they have at Reeser. And I don't know where that stands, but I, I would think that was a year ago. I would think that they're probably, you know, far down the road in terms of determining whether that's feasible or not. And I, I would think, I would think just given the interest in the program, I mean, they could, they could hit some, they could hit that pretty hard with some, with some, you know, maybe, I don't know, two, three, 400 premium seat options, something, some, something like that, you know, where it's like, where it is like it is a Reeser with the, you know, the, the really, really nice, sweet um, living room boxes, things like that. I, I don't know where that stands, but, but that's, I guess that's something to keep an eye out for here down the road. Yeah, I know Mitch has some grand plans that he always hides when I go into his office with, I mean, they've got schematics and they've got some, some expansion. I don't know if expansion is the right word, but some, some enhancements in mind. Um, they aren't, they're, they're kind of in the process of that. Uh, they are and have broken ground on a new hitting facility. So when you do go to Goss Stadium, um, you know, the, it will have a different look when you look out from, from, from the seats, those massive trees that were out in center field are gone. They're going to build a, it's either a two or three story building out there with a hitting facility and a meeting room and, um, you know, some cages and some, some, some areas to warm up there. So that will be something new that probably won't be 
finalized and built this season. There was some hope that it might happen, you know, midway through, uh, you know, the construction company and the workers are baseball fans. So they're, they're trying to grind away and get it up as quickly as they can. But I think the, the target is kind of for the start of 2025 or at least the off season there for that. But, um, yeah, I know they do have some grand plans for Goss and, and making it an even, you know, yeah. better and, and better experience there. Right. So, all right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Check out OregonLive.com slash Beavers for all your Beavers coverage uh, from Dashville and myself. And uh, again, we will talk to you uh, weekly for this as often as we can. So stay tuned for another one of these next week. Uh, in the meanwhile, enjoy, enjoy your Beavers. We'll talk to you later.